Please open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. We're in the middle, as you know, of an extended sermon series called God's Story, Our Story. We're looking at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to see how the big story of God's salvation of the world through Jesus Christ gives meaning and direction to the little stories of each of our lives. Well, God's story in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is greater than all created things. So if you trust him, you can live a life of freedom and confidence. I'm going to read the whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to God's word. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This is God's word. Several years ago, I read an article about the French view of infidelity. This article said that affairs are to be expected and they should not negatively affect the marriage. In fact, there was a quote from a prominent French psychologist who said, French men don't have mistresses because they no longer love their wives. On the contrary, they simply need breathing room. For such men who are in fact profoundly monogamous, infidelity is almost unavoidable. Affairs are essential to the psychic functioning of certain men who are still very much in love with their wives. See, I love you. I'm committed to you. You're my one and only. But for my psychic functioning, I need to, su- to supplement you with, with other women. This doesn't change anything in our marriage. I'm sure you understand. Well, it's very easy to see the flaw in that view of marriage But as Christians, we sometimes treat our faith in Christ in the same way. We supplement Jesus with other saviors. Now, we might think that would not negatively affect our spiritual life, but Hebrews says it will. 
The book of Hebrews was, was written for a congregation of Jewish followers of Jesus Christ. We don't know much about them. But we know that at one time they had been all for Jesus, they had trusted Jesus, they had stood for Jesus, they had even suffered for Jesus. But time had passed, life had moved on, things had gotten hard again, and they were starting to develop a dangerous spiritual condition. Hebrews 2 calls it drifting. Chapter 3 calls it hardening. In chapter 10, it's described as throwing away their confidence in Christ. Now, if you had asked them if they still believed in Jesus, they would have said yes, but they were starting to trust other things to give them what Jesus alone can give. Like what? What were they trusting? Well, as we read through and study the book of Hebrews this summer, we're going to see some of those things that they were trusting in addition to Jesus. But one of them was angels. Did you notice as I read this chapter how over and over again it makes the point that Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is superior to the angels. Why all this mention of angels? It's because these followers of Jesus were starting to trust angels. Now that sounds very strange. But at that time, there were some Jewish groups that were obsessed with angels. And as they studied angels and talked about angels and maybe imagined guardian angels saving things at the end of the world, it gave them a sense of peace and security, especially in untroubled and unsettling times. Now, I won't go into the historical and religious reasons for that trust in angels, but what I want you to see is that during this tough time of life, it didn't feel like Jesus was enough for them. Their confidence in Jesus alone was slipping, and so they were filling in the gap in their faith with the contemplation of angels. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do it. Don't supplement Jesus with other saviors. Don't throw away your confidence in Christ and put confidence in angels because Jesus Christ is greater than angels in every way. And you're going to miss the blessings that come from an exclusive trust in Him. Now, trusting angels isn't our temptation. That's not the problem of anyone here. We trust other created things, like money, or success, or expertise, or maybe politics, or romance, or health, or appearance. We, we still say that we're trusting Jesus for our salvation but we rely on these other things to get us through the rough spots of life. We put our hope and confidence in created things to give us <clears throat> what Jesus alone can give. And when you do that, your faith in Christ and your relationship with Him is harmed. And furthermore, those other things cannot deliver on the promises that they give you. Jesus is better than everything. If you trust Him alone, then you can live in freedom and confidence. Now let's explore that. Let's explore that by looking at this chapter. If you're a note taker, we're just going to look at it under two points. They're in the bulletin. I believe they're also going to be on the screen. We're going to see first that Jesus is greater than angels. They exist to serve him. And then second, if you trust Jesus alone, angels will serve you too. So let's look at this first point, that Jesus is greater than the angels. They exist to serve him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, to cram the first 13 verses of this chapter into this first point. 
And then I'm going to take the very last verse, verse 14, and I'm going to sort of expand that for for the second point. Now, in these 13 verses, the writer of Hebrews presents at least, probably more, but at least five ways that Jesus is greater than angels. And, it, and, he, and he presents these points so quickly and one after another that before you can get your head wrapped around one of them, he hits you with another one. It's like just a shotgun approach. There's no, doesn't seem to be a, a logic to it. He's trying to, to overwhelm you. You feel like saying, slow down, but, but he doesn't slow down. He just keeps coming. Remember, he's writing to believers who are drifting away from Jesus, who are replacing their confidence in Jesus with confidence in other things. And so he's trying to just overwhelm them with the greatness of Christ. And so let's look at just five of them. First, Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 4, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now this passage says that Jesus inherited the name son and that God became his father. Now you may say, well, hasn't he always been the son of God for all eternity? Yes, he has. And there was also a time in history when he inherited the name Son. And that was when he took on human nature for our salvation and when he accomplished our salvation through his obedience. And the point of the writer of Hebrews is the angels didn't do that. They they were present at Christ's birth, but they didn't take on human nature and become like us. The angels were present when Jesus carried out his salvation work, but the angels didn't die on the cross and didn't rise from the dead in our place. Jesus did that, and he was declared with power to be the Son of God. And the reason why that's so important is that if God's Son is first in your life, then God regards you as a son and gives you all the blessings of sonship. When I was in college, I went one fall break with a friend of mine up to Pennsylvania, and we went to Penn State University at State College because his father was a a Penn State graduate, and we wanted to see the university. And it just so happened it was a football Saturday, and you'll never guess who Penn State was playing. They were playing Alabama. And of course, I really wanted to go to that game. There was a great rivalry, but it was sold out. I could never have bought a ticket anyway, but my friend told his father that I wanted to go. And his dad said, hey, come here, let me talk to you. He said, I I would rather hang out in my old fraternity house and watch the game on TV with my college buddies. Take my ticket. And so so I, I had a seat in the Penn State alumni section. Now, I was sitting next to his wife who was irritated at what her husband had done, but I had a great time. The, the father treated me like a son because I loved his son. I was a friend with his son. I got to participate in the blessings of sonship through his son. What are the things you're tempted to love and trust besides Jesus? Your money, your possessions, your health, your success, your children's success. None of those things are the son of God. Your bank account is not the son of God. It can't give you the benefits of sonship. Jesus is the son of God. Trust him alone. Second, Jesus is God's firstborn. 
Verse six, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now in the Bible, the term firstborn doesn't always mean born first. Firstborn means first in rank, first in honor. It means deserving of, of first place in praise. David is called God's firstborn, even though he was the youngest of eight brothers, but he was first in rank and honor among all the kings of Israel. He founded the kingly line of Christ. Jesus is called God's firstborn. And Hebrews says that when he was brought into the world to carry out our salvation, God called all his angels to worship him. What's this a reference to? It's a reference to Christmas. You know the story, right? The shepherds are in the fields and they hear the angels glory to God in the highest. Now, you know the Christmas story, you know it well, but what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get you to do is to think about it in a fresh way. God didn't tell the angels to worship money or to sing praises to financial success. He told them to worship his firstborn. So Jesus is worthy of worship. So isn't it foolish for you to worship then any created thing in your heart? Third, Jesus is God himself. And speaking of the angels, he says, this is verse seven, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire, but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. You know, if anyone ever asks you, you know, where does the Bible say that Jesus is God? Well, here's one place, Hebrews 1. Jesus is God, it says. He has a throne. He reigns forever. And what are angels? They aren't God. They are made by God to serve him. So if Jesus is God and the angels and all created things serve him, why would you put anything else on the throne of your life? Why would you serve something made by God when you can serve God himself in the person of his son? Number four, Jesus is the eternal creator. Verse 10, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens of the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Created things perish. They wear out like a garment, the writer of Hebrews says. Think of the clothes in your closet that you never wear. It's probably not because they have holes in them. They didn't wear out that way, but they wore out in another way. They've gone out of style or they don't fit you anymore. You know, when you bought that shirt or that dress, you just thought it looked great. You had to have it. You thought, this is just going to be perfect. It's going to make me look, look so, so wonderful. And now it just hangs in your closet getting dusty because styles have changed or your waistline has changed. It, it doesn't do anything for you anymore. That's a perfect illustration of how the things are that we trust instead of Christ. We, we think we've got to have them. This is going to make me happy. This is going to give me security. And for a while, they do seem to do the trick. But then what happens? All the old worries, fears, disappointments return and they just wear out. Don't trust created things that will change and wear out when you can trust the creator, Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And then number five, Jesus is a victorious king. Verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So who did God say that to? He said that's from Psalm 110. He says that to Christ, to the Messiah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make every enemy a footstool for your feet. This week, I visited a woman whose family has called in hospice. And you know what that means? It means she's facing what the Bible calls the last enemy, which is death. Now, let me ask you, what, what can make that enemy a footstool for your feet? Can a big bank account make death a footstool for your feet? How about a big house or exciting vacation plans or successful children? Listen, even angels can't make death a footstool for your feet, but Jesus can and he has. Think of all the enemies to your life and, and, and happiness. Jesus is able to subdue them and make them into a footstool. So this is what the writer of Hebrews does in these first 13 verses, and I've barely scratched the surface. He's saying, Jesus is greater than all created things, greater than angels, greater than political powers, greater than financial successes, greater than all the accomplishments and possessions that you could amass in a lifetime. He's the Son of God. He's God's firstborn. He's God himself. He's the eternal creator. He's the victorious king. Angels serve him. All things serve him. So if you trust him, if you have confidence in Jesus alone, something wonderful happens in your life. And that brings us to the second point. If you trust Jesus alone, angels will serve you too. Let's look at verse 14 again. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Years ago, we lived on Marco Island, and we knew a man named Al, Al Rodenhouse. He was a snowbird from Michigan, and he was a very interesting person. And he and I would get coffee once or twice a week, and I learned a lot from him. When Al was a boy, he only finished ninth grade because his family needed him to work full time to support the family. They were, they were poor. He grew up poor, but he was blessed with an entrepreneurial mind and he became financially successful. And one time we were talking and the subject of cars came up and he began to tell me how much he loved Model A Fords. They were a passion of his. And he told me that at one time he had an extensive collection of Model A Fords, a dozen or so flawlessly restored collectible automobiles that he had acquired over many years. And uh, you know how collectors are. When he started talking about it, he got a gleam in his eye. And he started talking about this and that model and how they changed this in 1930 and how this one is desirable and, and, and so forth. And but he was talking in the past tense, and so I asked him what had happened to his collection, why he no longer had it. And he said, well, he was approached by some believers, some Christians who wanted to start a Christian uh, ministry, radio ministry, and they needed some startup money. And he prayed about it, and he believed that God wanted him to help in a significant way, and so he gave them his collection. He said, sell it. Use the proceeds to start this ministry. 
He spent years acquiring those cars, restoring them, showing them. He thoroughly enjoyed doing it, but then overnight, he just let them all go. I asked him if he missed his cars, if he missed his uh, collection. He said, yes, of course I do. He, He still loved Model A Fords, but he said it made him even happier to give them away because the Lord asked him to. Now, how could he do that? Because for Al, Jesus was greater than all created things. Jesus was greater than the most perfect Model A Ford. He didn't just believe that intellectually, he knew it deep in his soul. So his car collection was not a key to his happiness. It was not essential to his psychic functioning. Instead, here's here's how he saw that car collection. He saw it as something that God had given him for his enjoyment, for a period of time. In other words, the way he saw it was his collection served him. He was not enslaved to it. He was not enthralled by it. And so because of that, because his collection served him, he was absolutely free to give it away. Now this verse says that angels will serve those who inherit salvation. The fact is that if Jesus Christ is the greatest person in the world to you, then everything you have serves you and nothing can enslave you. What what a wonderful way to live. But how do you get there? How, How do you reach that point of trust in Jesus? Well, for one thing, you have to know yourself. You have to understand that because of sin, you have a heart that bends away from God and looks for salvation and happiness in other things. That's the way our hearts are. And even after we become Christians, that's the old man, the old self, the old sinful nature that turns away from God. Tim Keller wrote a book several years ago called Counterfeit Gods. And he says in that book that there are four deep drives of the human heart. Control, comfort, power, and approval. And every person is driven by one of those deep motivations. If your primary drive is control, then what you want most in life is security and certainty. You want to be able to order and arrange things. That's your key to happiness. So, so how do you know if control is your primary motivation? Well, you're a warrior, that's how you know. You're anxious. Those are your problem emotions. And when you're anxious, you are drawn to things that promise you control, your budget, your exercise routine, you know, planning your child's education, counterfeit gods, you understand. If your primary drive is comfort, then you want pleasure, privacy, and a stress-free life. That is your key to happiness. If that's the case, your problem emotion is going to be disappointment. You're never quite going to get there to that comfort level you want. And and boredom will also be a a problem emotion. You're gonna be drawn to counterfeit gods that offer you comfort and pleasure. If your primary drive is power, then you want success, winning, moving up the ladder. That's your key to happiness. Anger and frustration are gonna be your problem emotions. And you're going to be tempted to follow counterfeit gods that promise to put you on top. 
And if your primary drive is approval, then above anything, everything else, you want the praise and affirmation of the people who matter. It might be your peers, might be your parents or some other group of people, but, but you're going to follow the counterfeit gods that, that promise to make you look good in their eyes. You dread rejection, and your problem emotions are shame and a sense of inadequacy. So let me ask you a personal question. What's the primary drive of your heart? Is it comfort, control, power, approval? What idols, what counterfeit gods are you tempted to worship when you feel those deep longings? I've listed some of these in my sermon so far, but maybe one of these is your idol. Is it your work, business, Money, possessions, education, achievements, reputation, romance, marriage, children, exercise, health, beauty, car collection. See, there's nothing wrong with any of those things in themselves. There's nothing wrong with angels. But when you set your hearts on them and they become idols and substitute saviors, then there is a problem because they separate you from Christ. So you need to know yourself. You need to know your your sinful tendencies. And then here's what you need to do when you know them. Repent of them. Ask God to forgive you for turning to those substitute saviors. And then you have to deliberately turn your heart toward Jesus Christ. And specifically, here's what I mean by that. You have to take the wonderful things that Hebrews 1 says about Jesus Christ and preach them to yourself and apply them to your own heart. So let me take just one example, and and, and I'll work through this with you. Um, Are you anxious? Are you a worrier? Is a sense of control and security a key to your happiness in life? Well, well, what are you trusting besides God for that security? Whatever it is, you know it's going to fail, okay? It is going to let you down. It's not going to save you from every contingency in life. So you need to first repent. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my worry. Forgive me for trusting in my money or my financial planning or whatever it is for for my security. And then after you've repented, you have to, to look to Jesus and worship Jesus for the way that he gives you eternal security. Jesus, your word here in Hebrews 1 tells me that everything changes and wears out like an old garment, but you remain the same. You're unchanging. I praise you, Lord Jesus, for the security that that I have in your unchanging love and your complete control over all things. Do do you understand what I'm doing? You, You have to take these specific truths about Jesus in the Bible and by worship and prayer, push them down deep in your heart until they catch on fire. And then when worry and anxiety come again, and of course they will probably come again, but when they come, you'll turn to Jesus instead of these other things. And because of that, you'll be free, see, to use what God has given you rightly. Now, you know, if worry and anxiety are not your problems, if it's something else, then, then work it out yourself. I've, I've explained to you how to do it. Jesus Christ deserves nothing less from us than our exclusive trust and affection and how foolish we are to turn to anything else 
for help in life.